Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. I find that some of the best conversations I've ever had have been with strangers. (laughs) Increasingly, however, I find that I have fewer and fewer encounters with strangers. And why? Well, the ingredients that go into a good conversation with somebody that you don't know don't exist like they once did. The conversations that I've struck up with people that I didn't know often happened when I was a stranger myself and out of a familiar context, whether I was out and about, traveling, and especially encountering people on neutral ground. That is, where someone else might feel like they are a stranger too. But anymore, some of the barriers that exist um, are so extraordinary that we rarely have encounters like the one that we just saw here of two individuals finding themselves together and wanting to have some kind of engagement. So frequently anymore, we we are looking at a screen or we're preoccupied with a task or we have things in our ears such that it's hard to just strike up a conversation. But again, some of the best conversations I've ever had have been when I've been in a completely different and unique place, whether overseas in Europe on a train, not knowing exactly where I was going, perhaps in a bus stop, when I was out west doing a a road trip, and one of my favorite locations to strike up a conversation, a laundromat in a strange town, in a place that I was not familiar. These are the kind of settings that lend themselves to these types of encounters where our gazes are up, our hearts and our minds are open. We're neither anxious or afraid to be able to just say, hey, what brings you here? Or are you on the A train? Or do you know what time that cafe is gonna open up because I haven't eaten in 18 hours? It's a good thing that the woman who was getting water at the well that hot midday talked to a stranger. Because Jesus in that moment was the stranger. He's at the watering hole because he's thirsty. It's a hot day, it's midday. The sun is way up there. It's interesting also when we look at the stories that we have in scripture, a lot of things happen at the watering hole. That is, places of of neutrality, of, of commonality, where people come together for a particular purpose. Now, these things exist in our world, but because of the way in which our world has ordered itself these last 18 months, it's hard for us to let down our guard to have these types of moments. But schools are our watering hole, right? Church has been, for many of us, 
a place, an intersection where we can come together. Our neighborhoods, places of employment. But I know that I don't have to tell us that there have been a lot of reasons why we are hesitant to engage those who we do not know. So I, for one, am grateful for Jesus' willingness to ask a question and for a woman who finds herself alone out there. I'm grateful for their willingness to share their lives, if for just a little bit, with one another. If you could talk with Jesus this afternoon, what would you talk to him about? Perhaps you tell them about your fatigue, the level of exhaustion that you've been carrying these weeks and months. Perhaps you tell Jesus about the depression that you've been experiencing, or maybe even your chronic pain. Think about it. What if you encounter Jesus on the street corner or in the parking lot at Walmart? or maybe even just down the road this afternoon, what would you talk to Jesus about? Maybe you'd ask Jesus questions, like why you didn't get that job, or why you suffered a miscarriage, or why your marriage is falling apart. Perhaps you'd make requests of Jesus in your audience with him, you know, kind of like ordering off an online menu. I'd take some rest and perhaps a side of energy and um, more childcare, please. But then again, maybe Jesus is more than just a customer service representative for the Father. Because it raises the question what Jesus might talk to you about. What would Jesus tell you? Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a message of judgment. What would Jesus ask of you? What would Jesus tell you to do in your encounter with him? In our story today, Jesus tells the woman to go and do something. Did you pick up on it? Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus says in response, you're right in saying that you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true, the woman says. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Jesus knows this woman. Jesus knows why she's coming to get water at a time when you don't go out to get water. He knows, as she does, that everybody goes and gets water early in the morning or in the evening when the sun is not high. This is when you go to the watering hole. This is where you encounter other people in the community. Jesus knows this woman, and he knows why she's come alone at midday to get water. He knows that this woman is taking a risk to even talk to him because of the ethnic and cultural and religious differences that exist between them. Oh, he knows 
But this woman has a story to tell, a story that is long and difficult and probably sordid. Jews were allowed three marriages during this time. And so if the Samaritans were within even a click of this, they're still worthy, that's still worthy of curiosity, isn't it? But she hasn't been married three times, but five times. And the one that she's with now isn't her husband. So yeah, Jesus knows this woman. Jesus knows that this woman has a story to tell. I suspect you have a story or two to tell yourself. And I'm quite positive that your story has a variety of different chapters and subplots, twists, and turns, doesn't it? I bet that the story you present to us and to others, maybe even your own family members, is not the story that you tell yourself. These last couple of years, my brother and sister and I have been going through my parents' old house. It's a mix of all kinds of emotions and feelings, and I know a number of you all know what this is like. But one thing that I didn't expect was this sense of awareness and maybe even regret of not knowing the stories that certainly existed that I didn't know about at a time where I wish I had known about. As I look at pictures of my mom and my dad from decades ago, seeing in their eyes an awareness of a reality I know little about. So yeah, I think it's safe to say that just as there are riches beneath the surface in Mexico and in Florida and all around the world where people go and plumb the depths to see those beauties, we have hidden places ourselves, don't we? I bet you're the villain in some of these narratives. At other times, you may be the victim. Jesus knows all this. And he loves us anyway. And what Jesus has to offer us in these moments of vulnerability, of awareness that somebody else knows what our lives have become and what they look like, is that he is able to offer us a cup of cool mountain water that always quenches, always restores, and always fulfills I came across a story the other day that got my attention. It's the story of Glen Canyon. Glen Canyon is located on the border between Utah and Arizona. It's out in the desert. And today it's hard to see Glen Canyon because it is underwater. Called Lake Powell, or Lake Fowl, depending on your perspective. Lake Powell isn't actually a lake. 
It is a reservoir created by the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. It was created in the 1960s when they built a 700-foot dam on the Colorado River, which of course raises the question, why did they do this? And strangely, no one has a real good answer. Some have speculated that it is a backup reservoir to Lake Mead, which is farther down on the Colorado. Some will state that this canyon and its wonders was flooded at a time when they needed to do something with the water to prevent it from flooding down below. Still to this day, we can't get a real good answer to the question of why this was created and the number of people that know what Glen Canyon really looked like before it was flooded are dwindling because they are all dead. And yet, what they have said about it and the pictures that they took about it in the early 20th century describes a canyon more spectacular than the Grand Canyon. So yeah, considered a crime by many, Edward Abbey writes that it would be like taking the Taj Mahal and burying it in mud up so that you only see the tip-tops of the spires. So imagine the natural beauty of Zion National Park with its extraordinary cliffs and its canyons that weave back up there, the red rocks, as well as the rock formations of Arches National Park. Put those two together, right? Do you see that? Can you imagine that kind of a natural playground? Now submerge it in water. But something remarkable has happened. Call it an unintended consequence. A 20-year drought out west has dropped the water levels 140 feet since the year 2000. And the crisis that they are experiencing is now revealing that which had been obscured. Glen Canyon can now be seen. And those that knew it best their testimony about it is coming true, for it is quite the wonder to see. But for so long, it's been buried. It's been hard to see. It's been impossible to imagine. We too have riches that are buried in the floodwaters and sediment of our soul. Because we are created in the image of God, we are all down deep, beautifully crafted, imaginatively made children of God. But these natural wonders have been flooded and buried and disguised by our hurts, our tragedies, and our defenses, and more. Our inner beauty that Jesus knows about and sees is still there, y'all. But it's hard, if not impossible, to see at times. One unintended consequence of our crises that we experience is that it tends to uncover these beauties, doesn't it? 
the divorce that you've weathered, the loss of the job that you've had, the tragedy that you have lived through, they all have a tendency of dropping the water level, doesn't it? So that those vulnerable, hauntingly beautiful places in each of us are once again exposed. Talk to Jesus. He knows all about this. He knows all about your story, your struggles, your sins, your failures, and your triumphs. He does. He knows all this about you. He knows what his Father helped craft and create in you that has gotten buried and flooded in the many years that you have lived to disguise it. Jesus knows all this about you. And he loves you regardless of what your life looks like. And he wants to help you recover the natural beauty that's been disguised and lost. The question is, when you talk to Jesus about this, is he a stranger to you? If so, that's okay also. Because as it turns out, Jesus talks to strangers. God, it's true. There's a whole lot of sediment that has disguised and hidden our God-given creativity and beauty. God, as you know, there are a lot of reasons why we've We've taken these memories, these stories, and we've put them in shoeboxes and hidden them deep and dark places in basements that we don't want to go down into, that we don't ever want to recover. But the truth is, God, in doing so, we also are hiding places of beauty and intimacy that have value because you helped create it in us. So God, we pray that we might do that which we are terrified to do, and that is to go once more to these deep, dark places and to see what you see in us and that we might allow the light of your new day to illuminate these places and give meaning, value, and purpose to them. For there's no telling, God, the stranger or strangers that you will bring into our lives where these stories will bring insight and value to others, just as you've done to us. So it's with a spirit of gratitude and humility and hope that we pray these things. Amen.